Hello, and welcome to Digital Catapult's Future Networks podcast. I'm Jeremy Silver, CEO of Digital Catapult. On today's episode, I'm joined by David Pugh, Manufacturing Partnerships Lead at Digital Catapult, and our special guest, Alex Osborne, Senior Director for ServiceNow. Continue listening as we explore future networks technologies and the public sector. So today, by way of introduction, I thought I'd just try and track down a definition of the Internet of Things, because we've been talking about the Internet of Things for quite a long time now, but I'm not sure if I've actually come across a good definition. So I found this one. Sensors and actuators embedded in physical objects are linked through wired and wireless networks. Well, there are a few other similar concepts, but mostly the Internet of Things seems to be the most popular term to describe this basic phenomenon. Uh, and uh, the term apparently was sort of coined in about 1999, initially to promote RFID technology. Uh, the popularity of the term IoT didn't really accelerate for a while until about, well, five or six years, about 2014. Uh, and um, we were also talking at the same sort of time around machine to machine or M2M or the industrial internet and, and they're all sub-segments of the same sort of idea. In the UK in March 2015 the government announced a pledge to invest 40 million in the Internet of Things with the intention of making the UK an international leader in innovative technologies. And between 2016 and 2018 Digital Catapult created experimental low-powered wide area networks around the UK, inviting some 60 companies to get involved and try out new services and applications. And, and those networks are now all part of the global community, which is called the Things Network. The IoT represents a particular opportunity for public sector bodies to allow them to be more productive, uh, improve public safety, reduce operational costs, and, and increase citizen participation. With the help of new technologies like narrowband IoT, Sigfox and LoRa, and of course 5G, public bodies like local authorities now have the chance to profoundly alter services through data, analytics and automation. These sorts of future technologies and the applications of them are going to connect citizens to better services and the public sector is starting its transition and adoption of this new technology. Not just for the sake of digitization, but in order to enable increased economic growth, environmental sustainability, security and public safety. But how exactly will public bodies roll out IoT? So with me in the lab today to discuss these topics and more are Alex Osborne and David Pugh. David is the Manufacturing Partnerships Lead at Digital Catapult, where he sits between emerging technology and manufacturing and works closely with industry to find meaningful ways to accelerate innovation. David has a background in IoT and has delivered successful programs across Europe, India, New Zealand and the USA. And David has a PhD in engineering from UCL. Hi, David, and welcome. And Alex is a senior director at IoT service provider ServiceNow, Alex is responsible for working with government organizations and enterprises to help them unlock productivity and create great experiences using the intelligent and intuitive Now platform. Alex has more than 15 years experience working within the IT sector. So welcome, Alex. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be here. So before we get into the, the meat of the discussion, Alex, people perhaps aren't familiar with ServiceNow as an organization. Could you tell us a little bit about what, what the company does? 
Yeah, of course. So we've been around since 2004, uh, software organization born in the cloud. And uh, we started off our journey in IT in terms of enabling and, and creating the, the, the realization of, of true workflow within IT. So how things get done, how things get fixed, you know, things like password resets and, and, and all, the, all the challenges that exist within that environment. And then we, we've moved out into, into the enterprise as a, as a cloud platform provider, effectively driving and unlocking workflows across the different silos of, of organizations. So you know, we, we sit across uh, HR, IT, facilities and finance and, and, and unlock that world. So making effectively breaking down those silos and, and, and delivering productivity and efficiency. And, and a good example of that is, is probably how, uh, how you onboard a, a new employee, how they touch all those different aspects of, um, of, of an enterprise through facilities and IT and finance. And, and, and we effectively provide a, a single workflow for that to be a, a very efficient and uh, enjoyable process rather than something that can be typically rather quite clunky. So, so you've come to the Internet of Things in a way from, from the sort of practical needs of, of people in organizations using IT to, to fulfill day-to-day -day functions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we've, I know most organizations that sit within the IT world have a, have a specific area of their sort of sweet spot, if you like. And ours is very much that sort of system of workflow. So how the actual thing that you're trying to connect and, and derive the value from, how that actually gets done in terms of that, that action, that system of action that you're, you're looking for, whether it's uh, your understanding of degradation of a tire for a, a, you know, an expensive asset or, or a temperature of, a, of a, you know, an important asset like an aeroplane or, or whatever, whatever really. So we're going to come back to some of these use cases in a minute, but just to get a sense of this, I mean, we were talking about the, the advantages of the Internet of Things to the public sector in particular. Mm. But when we talk about the public sector, that includes a, a lot of different kinds of organisations. Are, are there some that you, you're thinking of more than others in terms of where the opportunity really lies? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think generally for the sort of taxpayer, for the citizen, the Internet of Things opportunity is is vast in terms of, you know, how people interact with their, uh, with our government organisations, um, and there's there's plentiful examples in terms of you know the, the highways is probably the most the most obvious one in terms of the the assets that are involved in running an efficient highway. So we've we've been working in the US to help create that smart highway in, in terms of the traffic lights are reflective of, of the amount of flow that's actually existing on the highway and how you know people move about without sitting into, in traffic jams. And that's sort of one of many examples of, of where we're trying to unlock that workflow to, to create efficiency and ease through, through that sort of disparate world of assets, really. And what sort of um, organisations do you think in particular? Are, are there some groups of organisations within the public sector which are, which are sort of readier to, to take on IoT than others? I believe so. I, th I think um, obviously wherever there's there's a vast amount of, of assets. I mean, the highways is a, is a good example, but but healthcare is another one. Um, I think we've got this sort of desire for well-being and, and understanding that it's a daisy chain type of sense for somebody in terms of you know their interaction with the NHS and then what do they do in their, their private life from from an exercise perspective and how that how those worlds get linked and, and managed as a, as a collective. I think that's a that's a huge realization that's yet to happen, but people are starting to talk about it, which is which is a good thing. So, so David, that, that that's Alex has sort of given us a bit of a vision there of this kind of very interconnected world that might go from our personal from from the home right into a, into an NHS experience, for example. So, uh, are there other kinds of um, of benefits that you think that that it's worth 
talking about in terms of the vision for IoT? Yeah, so IoT really is about getting value from data. And so there are a whole host of different business models and devices that can be deployed to collect data and use it in an efficient way. And so for public sector, which is really any service that benefits society beyond just the people that pay for it, so things like emergency services, councils, transportation, refuse collection, anything that you would interact with on a day-to-day basis that isn't something you're necessarily paying directly for, there are huge huge opportunities for them to benefit from these new ways that we collect and use data. And that goes from things like bins, air quality monitoring, streetlights, where there's both a social return investment, but also a financial one. So that social ROO might be that you're monitoring pollution and you know that now this is the clean air route. So you can, people take different routes to work because they know that specific routes are cleaner and they're less likely to engage with traffic. And being able to really unlock these ROIs aren't necessarily financial, but they um, have a lot of benefits for society at large to work with and work in cleaner cleaner environments, more efficient environments, um, and places where data is really valuable. So, so Alex, you know, we've been talking about IoT, and and as as I was saying earlier, the phrase was coined in 1999. Mm. How far through it are we, do you think? I mean, you know, how, how, how adopted to the Internet of Things is the average local authority, would you say? I would say we're still very much in the in the infancy. And I think that's the you know, that's the barrier to entry is probably the, the overarching challenge there. And if you just look at it from a, a very simple IT perspective, it's if you look at the the classic infrastructure of public sector, they've been you know, they've been late to adopt cloud. Um, so a lot a lot of them still sit in their own data centers which just aren't aren't ready or ripe for the level of dynamism that that IoT is going to drive in terms of that additional workload of of, of data that's going to come their way in terms of um, the monitoring that they start to adopt. So I think it's the the barrier to entry that's that's probably held it up. And then you've obviously got other aspects like like sort of data scientists, which is still a a scarce and expensive resource, which obviously from a public sector standpoint, they do struggle with some of the private sector salary bandings and and attracting the talent that's needed to try and shape and drive those, those opportunities really. So it's it's as much about getting the word out there, but it's also about getting the, the skilled practitioners to really be able to put it in place. Absolutely. And David, I mean, Digital Catapult's done quite a lot of work over the last couple of years uh, with local authorities, one way or another, to really explore the potential of IoT. Can you can you share a couple of examples of, of, of where that's really worked successfully and where we can see it in action today? Absolutely. So we have a program called IoT for Local Authorities, which takes local authorities on a journey through defining a challenge that they want to solve with IoT, helping them understand what networks look like, and helping them work with startups that are developing this really innovative technology. So we've just completed a cohort on this program, and we've looked at two use cases. So the first has been with South Stephen, and they've been looking at upgrading their lighting systems. Now, lots of local authorities are looking at doing this now because as LED technology evolves, then there's huge return on investments in the energy usage difference between a traditional light bulb and an LED. And what this does is it unlocks a whole new area because as we find more and more ways to collect data and do interesting things with it, streetlights are becoming the technological real estate for cities. There's a, once you've deployed a light bulb, there's a whole uh, streetlight, sorry, there's a whole host of things you can do with it. So in South Stephen, we've been working with a company called Arbinco, and they've been deploying air quality monitors and people counting um, instrumentation onto these lights. And so in South Stephen, now the council are looking at, can they monitor where the, the healthier parts of the city are, the cleaner parts, and what can they do to improve 
move the air quality in areas where it's not so good. And with people monitoring in town centre, they can allocate resources better. They can divert the flow of traffic if required and allocate resources like the police or traffic stewards to really ensure that the flow through the city is the best it can be. And that's been really valuable for them. So we're never going to look at, think about lampposts in the same way again. So they're not just lampposts anymore. They're, they're data-gathering units. They are far more than, than just lampposts these days. They are now one, probably the most valuable part of a city for lots of these IoT companies because it's a place that's high up. It has power sources coming into it, and they're a vital part of every, every city. So we're seeing all over the world lots of people using these lampposts to deploy different types of sensors to identify different things from people tracking, gunshot localization traffic monitoring systems. Gunshot localization. What is it? Tell us more about that. That sounds a bit scary. So in, in lots of countries now, we're seeing that microphones are being deployed on the lampposts. And when, unfortunately, if there is a shot to take a gun that's fired in a city, all of the different microphones can look at the noise level and then work on triangulating where that shot was actually fired. And that, that information is fed directly to the police and the police can go directly to where the incident is thought to have taken place. So it may not be the walls that have ears, it's going to be the lampposts that have ears. It looks that way, yes. <laughs> Excellent. What, are, what are other examples have you got? So we're working with Herefordshire Council in the southwest of England. And Herefordshire is the local area in the UK that has the highest density of over 65s. So there are a lot of people that are getting older and they're, looking, they're not wanting to move into care homes. They're not wanting necessarily to lose their independence. And so we're working with the council and a company called TenderTech who are developing a solution that is a device that sits in someone's home and is able to detect if someone falls. And it does this without the use of a camera because the device doesn't want to be intrusive for the people living there, but it can detect falls and then it, if required, contact help as and when required and we've deployed this in a number of homes across the the area and it's been found to be really useful it's what it's going to do when when it's scaled up and in, in long term is give people their independence allow them to be in their home not have to move into care homes and things and identify as and when help is required and be able to contact the right people that might be family members it might be carers it might be an ambulance if someone falls and they they seem unresponsive. But this is really very unintrusive technology that's enabling people to ha have real real impact in their lives. So being able to detect very personal situations, but at the same time retaining people's privacy and their, their anonymity and, and, unless it's needed. Yes, exactly. So not, not using cameras, not sending any information unless a fall is detected and not actually storing any information for a long period of time unless there is a reason for that to be enacted. Really, really interesting. And Alex, you mentioned sort of the skills gap earlier and suggesting that, that that's obviously a, a challenge to try and find the skilled data scientists to do the analytics. What other barriers are, are, are local authorities and public bodies having to overcome to really get the best out of IoT? I don't think you can talk about IoT without mentioning the word ecosystem, which I'm about to. Um, we can argue already have. So I, I, th I think that's the other aspect in terms of it's because uh, it's a, still a new market. It's it's understanding who your IoT ecosystem is going to be to realise whatever the, the business challenge or problem that you want to invest to, to unlock. So I think it's ensuring you have the, the right ecosystem that, that are prepared to work together. I think that's, that's a critical one. And, and when you say the ecosystem, do you mean the ecosystem of partners in a network or do you mean the ecosystem of, of suppliers of the technology both really i mean in terms of if you, if you look at a, a sort of what's what's required from an iot stack to make it all work in terms of you know obviously you've got the connectivity and then the middleware around the 
the asset and when does, where does the data go and do you house it in your data center or does it does it go to a, a Microsoft or an AWS and then and then how does it all work and where does it get surfaced? I mean, it's a it's a very complicated world, isn't it? Which is why I think Gartner's always put a huge price bracket on the uh, on on the potential of IoT because of that sort of new new ecosystem that needs to come together to exist. Really, we often get to talk about the Gartner hype cycle on this. Yeah podcast because uh, so many of the technologies that we explore are subject to incredible amounts of, of hype and overpromotion, but at mm. the same time have this incredible potential to change. Uh, so, so in terms of what ServiceNow is, is doing, are you finding that you're in a position to bring together some of the members of that ecosystem? Is, is that part of your what your platform is able to do? Yeah, so I, I, we, we obviously are, are sort of involved in advising on that. And because we sit at the end of the IoT in terms of the uh, making the, the sort of workflow, the, the system of action come together, absolutely will obviously advise on, on where the critical aspects of that ecosystem need to exist and, and where we can sort of limit the, the monetary drain or, or, or the efficiency from, from the IoT solution. So a good, a good example of that is you sometimes end up with a, a vast amount of data coming out of whatever you're trying to monitor. And I think the critical thing is that you need to ensure that the the thing you actually want to monitor is the the bit of data that, that's coming out to you. So, how do you how do you ensure that's the case? So, you often hear talks about the the, the engines on a on a on an aeroplane create obscene obscene amounts of data, but actually, what is it you're trying to monitor? Is it is it the temperature of a of a certain engine rather than all the other aspects that will that will come with that? Very interesting. And and I suppose the, the, the you know the, the the question in all of this really is. You've talked about some of the skills gaps, and David, you talked, I think, quite a bit about the, the kind of intangible benefits of IoT, but presumably one of the big motivators for public authorities and local councils is cost saving and, and efficiency. Are, are there particular places where that is getting more traction than others, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think from what I've seen, the efficiency piece is huge, and it's something we, we align to. So, I mean, the, the sort of smart bin is the one that's always always talked about. But you would envisage that that would be rolled out everywhere by now, but it's still very much in pockets of, of local authorities. So it's trying to solve the, the business case, isn't it? I think that's what most organisations struggle with is, you know, what, what will a smart bin give us in terms of how do we then tie back the uh, ROI around the, the savings of, of of fuel as a result of not having to just do a, a routine collection and, and do we need to employ you know less people as a result it's and I think that's the bit that organizations challenge with a challenge with is, is actually working out what's what's the actual answer to the exam question I think we could all sit here and, and within 10 minutes have a vast array of IOT solutions for local councils and public sector but actually understanding the value is the, is the challenge and, and is that that's where you get involved as service now and, and get closer to the problem is it? yeah I mean, absolutely so can you can you give share us an example of, of where that's um that's really paid off for a, for a council yeah so so, so we'll we'll do um a, a lot of design thinking as, as part of that so i think just just turning up and, and expecting to be the fix uh for, for whatever the the challenge they're looking to, to solve is is sort of naive naive so so we we typically get in early and, and we look at what is the problem they're trying to fix and, and, and what does that design look like? Because that's obviously where our, our expertise lies. So we've done that with a number of councils in terms of what's the challenge they're trying to fix. I mean, it's as simple as uh, that whole bin, bin collection process all the way through to you know, other aspects in terms of how they, how they 
run aspects of the NHS shared services that will sit within their boroughs as simple as, as you know even just the process of booking in a patient you know what does that look like how do they how do they interact with that that organization which channel do they come through even at that really basic level that is a you know an IT solution so so it's just sort of stripping back and, and understanding understanding the design piece really and how much of it is design and how much of it is technology would you say well I think I think technology is never the challenge is it I, I think um, you tend to find normally um, the technology exists it's just how how's it being used and and I think the other complex aspect is is the business change that the new service or new technology will drive and, and ensuring that, that that just by buying the technology you don't expect it to work you have to have that whole business change process mapped as well so we work with you know a number of number of partners to to deliver that piece so so when you look across the board and you can see the sort of levels of understanding or, or, or how far people have still got to go what kinds of sort of tools and solutions and uh, services and or support programs um, are there out there that, that, that would be useful for authorities, David? So as I mentioned, the IoT for Local Authorities programme that we work on takes local authorities and helps them look at what their challenge is and understand, can technology actually solve it? And if it can, in what ways would you need to deploy a network? What would the cost of that network be? Could you utilise this for other things as well? If you've deployed an LP1 network, for example, it's not limited to one use case. You could look at bins and air quality and parking and all sorts of other things beyond that initial investment. And we work through the process with them, helping them understand that and helping them understand and unlock that ecosystem of innovators that exist. The UK has a really strong ecosystem of companies that are using IoT technologies and 5G technologies to deliver public good and social good. And we're help, trying our best to help authorities to unlock this value and work with these companies. Excellent. Alex, are there, are there other sort of approaches that, that uh, eager local authorities should take if, they, if they're keen to get up the learning curve fast? Yeah, I, I suppose we, we all have a role to play in, in the awareness of this um, and in terms of, I think, trying to find solutions that, that can be replicated across all, all, all local authorities that we, that we know work and, and come together properly because I, I think they all have effectively the same sort of problems. Um, so I think there's definitely a, a, an onus on us to promote what we're seeing in the market collectively and, and that's why you know, the partnerships are so, so key and that's, a, I think, one reason why we're, we're very much partner with Digital Catapult is to try and sort of amplify the noise out there and, and help help with the understanding. Well, we're certainly finding lots of exciting ways of doing that. Let's just take the lens out a, a little bit further for, for a moment and just see, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to look elsewhere uh, in other sectors or in other, other industries for uh, examples of where the Internet of Things is really compelling, where might you look? So I'm a big fan of the of the wine use cases. So you'll see vineyards that are huge tracts of land, and because they cover such vast areas, then there's there can be differences in soil quality and the temperature of the vines as the grapes are growing, in the rainfall, and so. Now, vineyards are able to deploy sensors and a low-power wide area network that covers their entire facility and ensure that they're getting uniformity across the fields, which ensures uh, uniformity across the wine and a better, better vintage. But it means as well that they can have feedback. They're getting actionable insights. So if they find that one field is a few degrees colder, they can, they can warm these fields up. And they do that by lighting huge candles and having fans that fan the heat across the fields. They're also able to make sure that the same amount of water is fed to every field. And they, they're finding that they're, they're getting a, a considerably 
less waste. By doing this, they're finding that there's better uniformity across a year, um, and they're really one of the first major adopters of IoT technologies. So the, so the wine trade or the wine industry is leading agritech. They are, very much so, yeah. And, it's, and agritech is following on, but it seems like wine is the first, first real industry to embrace this fully. Well, uh, I'll definitely drink to that. What, uh, Alex, uh, other examples of places where we might look to see great examples of, of the Internet of Things at work? Yeah, so, so a sort of a fun one I heard about in, in Japan was the connected cow, just sort of continue the uh, agro theme. So the, the idea that, that you, could, you could monitor the pregnancy of a cow to effectively de-risk the, the loss of birth um, and obviously the ensuring that their environment is one that is conducive to a happy birth and uh, for me that really struck out as a, as, a, as a great one where you've got a an asset that you you know moves around as a complex asset you obviously invest in it over over many years and you, and you want to ensure that it uh, you see a return on your investment so um, I think if, if you can do it with a cow then sort of the limitations are endless really. So connected vineyards and connected cows okay there's a sort of picture forming here <laughs> Any other good examples of where we might look to see how the IoT is is transforming traditional industries? So aerospace is a great example as well. We're finding that the actually the amount of data you can get from both the manufacture of a plane and then the in-life operations of, of a plane are huge. Uh, Rolls-Royce are a key example of this in their in their engines. They have a, a process called power by the hour where they they generate huge amounts of data. Now, obviously. Not all of that data is immediately useful, but they're able to build up huge data sets and find out what parts of that are useful in ensuring that they are providing a great service, providing that the engine is always available. And also while planes are in the air, if anything were to happen, then that data can be sent down to the airport that they'll be landing at and there's a ground crew immediately available to help and to kind of mitigate any problems that might arise. Excellent. Yeah. One, one more example from you, Alex? Yeah, yeah. thanks, Jeremy. I mean, the one for me that always intrigues me is where you have a, a sort of sector that you don't associate with innovation. So um, we, we've worked with a, a, an Australian mining company around the vehicles that transport uh, the vast amounts of waste in and out of the, out of the mines. And the tires of these vehicles are, are roughly about $250,000. And they up to now have just replaced them on a you know, regular maintenance schedule. But we were able to help them with the idea of actually monitoring the degradation of the tire and, and removing and replacing it at, at the appropriate time. So obviously de-risked massively from a, from a safety perspective and also from a productivity and, and financial gain or, you know, an asset of, of that level of, of cost. Once you, uh, once you can eke out its existence for as long as possible, then the return is, is, is immediate in terms of setting that whole IoT sort of workflow process up. So for me, that's a, that's a good example of um, evolving a, a non-traditional environment where you'd expect those typical gains to be seen, really. Longer tyre life. Mm, yeah. Longer tyre life, better planes in the air, connected cows, and of course the connected vineyard. It sounds, it sounds like a glorious, glorious opportunity for the future. We're nearly at the end of this, but I just would like to ask, uh, and this is, a, this is the question I reserve for our special guests each time we do one of these, our final big question for you, Alex. So if you had an unlimited amount of money, if money was, was no object um, in the deployment of the Internet of Things, how would you go about putting it in place and what, what would you do? Hmm. Where would you start? I think the, the area which would, you would see the, the biggest benefit in return from would be the, probably the, the healthcare sector, which is obviously quite poignant, bearing in mind our uh, 
political uh, intent in the next 24 hours. So there's, there's clearly a lot of investment going into that. And it's, and it's one sector that we all, you know, we all touch all close to our hearts in many ways. And I think the workflow experience of that hasn't really evolved since, since it began in terms of you interact with a doctor or, a, or a, uh, and then you move into a, a different part of the healthcare system, albeit be a hospital, and then you, you find that there's a piece of paper, in essence, following you around. And, and depending on that success of that piece of paper depends on the success of your, your treatment. And I think just the simple ability of... of Moving that into a seamless digital process, with obviously the 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 IT aspect being us, being the patients, would would revolutionise that sector in terms of you know the cost savings, the the emotional savings, and, and just generally the the overall overall benefit that the UK would see from it. I, I think for me that would be that wouldn't be straightforward or easy to do. So you would definitely need a an, an awful lot of money, but I think the return on it would be uh, would be a great one. So if you had your magic wand, that's where you would wave it. Absolutely, yeah. Excellent. Thanks for joining us this week. That's all for today's episode of Future Networks. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Alex Osborne from ServiceNow for joining us today, along with David Pugh from the Digital Catapult. And thank you for sharing your insights and perspectives on Future Networks, technologies and the public sector. Check out the other episodes in this series and make sure you subscribe to the Future Networks podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you'd like to learn more about Digital Catapult and the work we do in the Internet of Things and 5G space, visit our website at digicatapult.org.uk. Thank you and goodbye.